Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I sit down with Fred Studer. Fred is the CMO of Tipco. And this is one of those episodes where I feel really lucky that I get to chat with people with these amazing careers and accomplishments. And that is absolutely the case with Fred. He has been a four-time CMO now, both at NetSuite, part of Oracle, Gigamon, Financial Force, big extension of Salesforce, and now Tibco. And at these size brands, you get to do really cool things. Fred and I talk even about how he's been able to not just sponsor, but the words we use is partner with Formula One. They have partnered with Mercedes AMG to not just put their brand on with these solutions, but ultimately be part of the solution for winning a race. And we talk about taking that mindset to partner and do that with all the ways you tell your customer stories. This is a great episode in terms of getting voice of customer using Fred's words and how that can help elevate a brand to the levels of some that I've mentioned that Fred's worked at before, not to mention where he really got to dig in his career with brands like Oracle and Microsoft. This is a super senior CMO who's gonna share great knowledge and tidbits with you. Here we go. Fred, I am really pumped for us to sit down and chat here. Four-time CMO, tell us how the most recent opportunity at Tipco came your way. Randy, it, you know, it's 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 a pleasure to be here. Thank you for including me. Um, all of these are all unique. And, you know, I know we're going to get into journeys, but mine is one that's just been phenomenal that I could not have predicted. And in fact, you know, specifically how I wound up here most recently at Tipco which has been phenomenal, uh, and it's been a great experience for three years. This is one of the the first jobs where I, I deliberately took the time to think about the space and the technology and the market that I really wanted to be in. And data and analytics, obviously, is something that has always kind of been in my background, both just you know from an area of study, but never one that I deliberately had an opportunity to be the chief marketing officer of. And so when I started thinking about the companies in, in this space, uh, clearly Tibco is at the top of the list and I was fortunate enough to be brought on by uh, an amazing man who I work for named Dan Streetman. And so uh, I'm, I'm pleased to have been here and uh, continue to, to thrive and, and grow in my career in, in, in the marketing area. So you hit on this reality of, of choosing the space that was important to you being data and analytics, but I'm wondering how you balance that with brand. Uh, and, you know, if I, I'm going to brag on your behalf for a moment here, because I know you probably won't, but brands like Oracle, Microsoft, Oracle's NetSuite, Financial Force, I mean, these are power brands in B2B that you've been in a leadership role in over the last 10 plus years. How do you weigh finding something that's on the up and up like Tibco seems to be without necessarily in this case having as strong of a brand, I'll say? It's it's actually one of the most important things that I look for. You know, I had the the privilege to 
work for Oracle and Microsoft and Financial Force, who was really part of Salesforce, these big, big brands. And so when I was looking for my next opportunity, part of being the person that was going to build a team that could actually build and compete with brands that were so recognized was actually one of the challenges and really an opportunity that I saw was was just going to be fun. And although Tibco at the time was was also well known um, because they're private equity backed, the marketing needed to be very specific and deliberate. And so it was a personal and professional challenge that I took on specifically knowing that, you know, that it didn't have that marquee name. But I knew if I had the right team and the right, you know, ability uh, with 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 the flexibility that I get working for, you know, great, great ELT there that I could do. And I'm, I'm very pleased and proud of what our, our marketing team and really the entire company was able to do and now compete effectively with all the brands that you just listed out. So uh, that was actually part of really what I wanted to experience. And, and we got there. That's that's amazing, and and maybe in the second half of our combo, we'll hit more on brand because you're sitting here. People will be listening; they won't be seeing. You're wearing quite a few brands on your shirt that are now very aligned from a race perspective with Tipco, which I think is such a cool way to build a brand at the scale that you're fortunate to be at today. Let's take a step back though to before you were CMO for the first time, and you shared with me that this four-time CMO, you can kind of almost look back to other opportunities where you were working in very large organizations, Microsoft and Oracle, which we just mentioned. And I'm curious in those cases, what exposure did you get there that prepped you for that first CMO gig? Well, you you can imagine because you, you Randy, you talk to a lot of people in this field. And I think we all kind of you know, build our careers in unique ways. Um, mine has to be, it happens to be a really unique journey. Like I came out of being a financially trained accountant. I, I literally deliberately uh, studied accounting and finance, but always was into computer science as well. We called it information systems back in the day. Um, I happened to be a Mac user. I, my parents were very generous and my dad reminds me all the time that had he invested the money that he paid for that Apple Mac 2E in uh, Apple stock, he would have already made the money that he <laughs> gave every other day. Pay your salary and then some. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but fortunately, you know, it really kind of pivoted me into this world. Um, I, I joined uh, Oracle and really it is a, it's a boot camp for marketers. And I started in product management. I moved into product marketing. And so my real superstructure started out in product. And as you can imagine, and one of the things we'll probably talk about, and you know, it comes across in a lot of your podcasts, is knowing your audience. And really, it's not just about your audience, but it's even more specific. It's about understanding the problem they're trying to solve. And if your technology can do that in a unique way, and as a marketer, you can articulate that differentiated value prop in a unique way, you earn the privilege then to go have that conversation and potentially win that deal. And so, you know, starting off in Oracle, uh, going off and really being, you know, part of the, 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 the group that got to invent and learn how to take Office 365, which really didn't even exist in 2006, to market. So you're thinking, okay, now I know product. Now I'm learning about brand. Um, you know, then I got to learn about demand. So you bring these things together, you get product, you get, you know, how to go to market, 
and now you get this branding expertise. You know, the only dimension that I was missing because Microsoft and Oracle had these very specific divisions that were demand gen was how to, how to do that. And that in itself is a science. So I kind of got the two art pieces and, and the last piece really kind of came together uh, when I started getting into the CMO roles, uh, including Financial Force, NetSuite, and, and now Tibco, obviously. Let's let's hit a little bit more on that last point because it's so important, especially in these companies. And you know, you've shared with me how great of a role tip goes on in terms of creating predictable revenue, which is so tough, especially when you don't have the Microsoft logo of people just naturally knowing I go to Microsoft for that. Where have you brought in, as you said earlier, perhaps expertise through the team or as you've refined your own skill, stepped up to the plate? It really does. And you hit it. You hit it very well. It is about the team because, you know, every CMO, including myself, we have an area that is probably our our favorite or one that we're better at. You know, mine happens to be, I, I love the branding aspect. I love the creative thought that goes into how will we choose partners and do customer marketing and how do we think about the awareness and the style even of the brand to, to make that story compelling. Um, but, you know, demand gen has to be part of every CMO's makeup. You, you cannot, I've never not had a sales leader ask me for, less leads. In fact, it's always right. the opposite. It's like, where are the leads? These guys and gals need them. Uh, so, so that's something that you, you kind of just have to build in your repertoire of skills. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting point, Randy, and you might have experienced this in your conversations, but, you know, marketing teams kind of have to evolve. Like early stage companies like, like Tibco, even though it's a, it's a brand that was there, their problem wasn't demand. They had the demand. They needed branding. But as soon as we built the brand, we, we, we then decided that we needed demand. And then as soon as you have demand, then you need content to support that brand and that, that demand gen. And so you kind of have to be ready to um, adapt. And we all know, and, and I, I hate to bring it up because everybody's tired of it, but the buyer's journey changed dramatically. Now, it's always changed. But COVID and having people completely need to go online really shifted this buyer's journey in such a material way so quickly that having to run a marketing organization really became very challenging in a very distributed virtual way. And so, you know, when I came to Tipco, we, we had one journey in mind and it was getting recognized, you know, in, in these, you know, big size scale deals. But demand became very important. And because the buyer's journey has shifted so quickly, we had to be agile. And so I, I cannot speak more highly of my team who are all absolute experts. They are the Tom Brady's of their business in every category. And I wouldn't be able to do my job effectively without them. That's great. I, you've teed up a great second half of our podcast together. We'll chat a little bit more on how you generate that demand, the different strategies you hit on them, everything from brand content to just the general world of demand generation here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. 
Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Fred said it himself that working at a company like Microsoft or Oracle is a training ground. It's an opportunity to spread your wings and understand different elements of a business. And I think that's an important thing to remember. I speak to so many people who say, I want to get out of this big company and get into a startup. And my challenge and question to them is how have you taken the approach to act like an entrepreneur in that large organization? Have you taken the opportunities to do the tour of duty, to try different opportunities, or have you stayed in the same lane. If you're the type of person to stay in the same lane, you're going to struggle when you have to step up to run a startup, to be a CMO, whatever may be ahead for you. So make sure to use the most of the opportunity and look around you. So we teased earlier, Fred, that many people will not see your shirt and that you have gone and invested in a big way for this brand. Tell us about that partnership. So, you know, it, it's specific that you use the word partnership, Randy, because, you know, a lot of people can go out and sponsor and, and those are important. Absolutely. It gets your logo out there. People start to see your name. Your salespeople get excited about it. Your employees get excited about it because they feel part of something. But what, what I realized very quickly, and TIPCO has had a, a partnership with the Mercedes AMG Formula One team for five years. Um, this wasn't just a partnership or, or a sponsorship. It was a partnership. We, we deliberately went and partnered with them to help them do real things with their company to really be eight time winners of the Constructors Championship Cup. This is never been done in any team. And from everything from how they use our integration technology to bring data sets from factory to race time to the way that on, on race days, they are using our, our analytics to decide when to pit, how long tires are gonna last, uh, you know, when they should overtake. Uh, 300 sensors in each car being downloaded, sent back to the UK, analyzed and race time decisions being made because you know in this sport and thank thank goodness Netflix made it really very important even in in, in this world because uh, it used to be just an international sport now it's a world sport that even in North America it's being followed so you know just to take it a step further you know we also do sponsorships and partnerships with other companies we we happen to be part of uh, uh, we we sponsor the US women's cycling team um, we work with the 49ers and their foundation. We, we also work with the Warriors at the, at the Chase Arena. Um, but they, they can't just be sponsorships. Our name just can't be there on a t-shirt or a hat. We, we take it deeper to make these really meaningful where our software 
is telling a story of how we're helping improve those organizations to do their best. That's such a cool connection. Right. I, I love it. I appreciate that you notice that. It's funny. I, I remember my first job, I worked for a really big organization, Rubbermaid, and, and they had a NASCAR. And there, and as you said, there's a great element of we woke up every morning and there was an update from the driver once a week, you know, addressing all of us as employees. And this was a fun connection, but we never had, you know, despite the rubber made, there was no tire that we made for the for the tires of the car. There was no connection back to why we were doing this, other than we felt our customer would connect with that sport. In your case, you're actually able to show a case study with these brands, which is a fantastic opportunity to take that storytelling to the next level of here's how we actually execute. Exactly. And, you know, when you, when you talked about, you know, branding and how closely that has to tie to, especially for me and working on a, you know, a very efficient budget with my team, when, when we do branding, it has to drive demand and we track everything. And so, like when we're activating what we would call activating like a Formula One race, I just happen to be in Miami. Um, we're bringing CIOs and partners and audiences that we go down and literally show them how Tibco is affecting that race. And we work so closely with the team, they'll show our dashboards like right in, in the pit. And when, when a customer, a future customer or a current customer sees that, they, they know that we're a trusted provider of technology and if the formula one team you know a millisecond in that race over a few laps makes a difference between the winners and people that just are behind the track it's just it's amazing now a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to say this is the coolest company i want to work for it but others listening and trying to learn from this are going to say well we we can't quite go sponsor or partner with one of these brands uh, especially now that netflix has inflated those those partnerships even more so how did you balance over the last five years with the breaks in, in which these events just weren't happening you know the pandemic effects how did you shift to the idea of demand generation just being more pure digital online. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's so important, and we had to make that pivot so quickly. Like like many companies, um, even our customers, you know, literally, uh, you know, we were one of one of my favorite stories in this space is a, a company called Panera Breads, and if you haven't had a chance, their chicken curry soup is phenomenal, and <laughs> their sandwiches are bar none awesome. But you think about a company like that who was dealing in perishable goods in restaurants. They had food in their stores and they were completely shut down. Like they could not have people come in to buy their food. They reached out to Tibco. We, we, we already happened to be a partner of theirs. And in 10 days, they basically completely pivoted their business. You talk about business reinvention. And I will get back to your point around how we leveraged customers because not everybody can sponsor a Formula One team, but everybody has customers that do unique things with their products. And so our team basically in 10 days shifted their stores from being physical stores where no one could go to really completely shifting to a grocery as a service model. And they started to build new partnerships with companies like Amazon, 
they started delivering food. They had all of these perishable goods. They shifted their menus. They went completely online in 10 days and were able to improve, not only you know build a new business, but improve their profitability using Tibco. You know, getting back to your original question, we realized if people couldn't go to events and, and go to stores or restaurants or other things, you know, we had to completely change the way that we marketed. We knew companies buy from authentic brands. And because now they couldn't come to events, they couldn't go see their sellers, sellers couldn't take them to games or restaurants or anything like that, we knew that those stories still had to be told. And so our uh, PR team and our customer marketing team basically said, okay, we're going to go completely to this lighthouse customer case study. And they set out a target of 25 and we built them really quickly. And we set out that we wanted at least 30% of our, our public relations to be customer focused. And these case studies just kept coming in and became really valuable. And we turned them not into just press, but into real stories that people could see online. It completely shifted the way that we even looked at our website. And so you talked about digital. We had no idea that the buyer's journey was going to go from probably about 30 to 40% digital. It's 80% digital before they even want to talk to a salesperson. And so we, we analyzed our website almost every day. And I'm happy to say every month we have driven almost 8 to 10% growth and uplift just by in organizing the content and creating the right kind of content that customers wanted to, let's call them buyers, wanted and needed to see to be able to trust Tibco. I, I love how you walked through that. And, and just to back it up, I've been to your website. I have it open in front of me right now. And one of the things I, I think you do well, and, and I'll apply this to data and analytics, but this applies to any company where it's a complex offering or an offering where we envision what is data analytics? It could be so many things, so many categories within, but there's an example here of JetBlue. And it really dives into not just that JetBlue is a logo that works with you, but back to your language earlier, Fred, it, it talks about the partnership that you have and it talks about what that data is specifically enabled. And I think as you walk through this customer story telling example that you just had, I think that's the element that people need these days. It's not just here's the logos and here's our slogan. It's here's how we solve. And I'm, I'm curious, how does that... Who does that fall on? Is that on the customer marketing team or is that on the growth team to figure out what these stories are? This is, it, it completely pivoted our company, Randy. Like I will tell you, it, it absolutely falls on uh, the major part of that work falls on. We have a, a, we call it the voice of the customer team. And this team really used to collect and and curate what we would call customer references. But in the pandemic and knowing how important these customer stories, and you hit it, it's an important word here, it was our company's responsibility. Like everybody at our company that touches a customer, whether it's a sales executive or a consultant that's deploying or a uh, you know, a customer service representative or a, a, a BDR or our PR team who's interviewing them or me at a Formula One event, we empowered every single member of Tibco to be an advocate and a curator of great customer stories. And even to the point where 
when we are out at these events, and you know, you've seen you've seen this happen um, because companies like Gartner and Forrester weren't able to have their events. They weren't doing as many briefings. They completely shifted to these things called peer reviews. So our entire company got engaged. We knew that our customer marketing team we 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 can we can curate customer brands like JetBlue or you know FedEx or Pfizer. We can do that. The hard part was getting our entire company pivoted around how important and critical these customer stories were. And our sales team took on targets and goals to go out and get our customers who had great stories to tell. They just didn't have a way or a mechanism to easily do that. And so when we, we asked them and, and really, really chartered them with the opportunity, they got involved. And so you started to see all of these customer peer reviews start across the board improving. And so really, to go back to the point, it's, it's not just one team's responsibility. It's the company's opportunity and obligation to go curate and bring these brands in to tell their authentic stories that really helps us go to market in a better way. That's awesome. I I love the way you tie in everyone's responsibility to the customer. We're going to take a break on that note. We'll rejoin with Fred after a quick message here on The Marketer's Journey. I really respect Fred's answer there that the voice of the customer is not just on one department. It's not a customer marketing initiative. It's not a growth marketing initiative. It's a company-wide initiative. And it's a set of words that we should really challenge anyone in our organization. I say this all the time. We can all understand our customer better, whether it's an engineer looking at the data and the way that someone uses our product, whether it's a sales team understanding and relaying that back to the marketing team. We don't necessarily always have to be customer facing to understand the customer and to take feedback from the customer. So let voice of customer be your company-wide rally. We are back here with Fred. Fred, we hit on a lot of different topics today. And one that you mentioned is that you had different opportunities to learn about brand, learn about product, ultimately demand. When you think of the next CMO, the one who's either on your team or you think is going to challenge in another company, do you think that they need to be that generalist or can they come from a specific specialty? I think... It really depends on the company and where they are in their phase of growth. I think if I was a startup advisor, I would never hire a CMO. I would hire a somebody that is a digital expert because that's really what they need. They need basic demand. Their brand really isn't important because they've got such a focused persona that they're going out after. It would be a waste to go sponsor a Formula One team at that time. But uh, you know, if you're a big, you know, sophisticated brand demand has to be in your in your background and it is a science and it's something that you know it really uh it depends on each company and where you're going but my my short answer is it really depends on what the company's deal has to be right at that point having a background and at least an understanding of all the categorical you know emphasis in a domain of of marketing is important but you should really think about the company that you're going to join and what skill set you're going to be able to bring to be successful there 
I think that's great advice. And I like that example of the early stage company and how differing it is. And hopefully that that removes some of the intimidation of people listening to this and the great partnerships you've been able to do. Those will come. Uh, let's talk content. We we skimmed over content. We talked about the importance of case studies. But when, when someone sends you something in your inbox and ad, what is it about the content that gets you to click these days? You know, it, it's got to be relevant and personal to me. And it's really difficult. Um, you know, as we talked about, the, the buyer's journey has changed. And so even at Tibco, we think about content at every stage of a sales cycle. But what's, what's changed completely is that the sales cycle is not linear anymore. It's organic. And so even your website and even like where I am, you know, you asked me what I click on. If I happen to, you know, it, it needs to, it, somehow they need to know what I am most thinking about at that moment. Sometimes I'm thinking about digital. Sometimes I'm thinking about our events coming back. You know, I'm constantly trying to think about where are the buyers. And so, you know, obviously being a marketer, I have to sometimes think about what other marketers are trying to market to me. So I, I often just click and see what, what, is, what is making sense. Um, and then I do a, a, a deliberate thought. Why did I click on that? But what it comes down to is they made it personal to me in the phase that I'm at. And so sometimes they are looking, the, the ones that are the most successful are the BDRs or the marketers that look at my LinkedIn, they look where I'm following, they look what I'm liking, they look what I'm posting, and they make it relative and very specific and personal to me. And I think that works across the board. I love that. And, and I love the example of that true one-to-one -one example, going into your LinkedIn, understanding some of the things that are important to you, highlighting this partnership that we've talked about. What do you do to take that to a level higher when it comes to personalization? How can we personalize without being able to go one-to-one, -one, but perhaps still one-to-many these days? What does that level of personalization look like to you? So we, we have done, a, I'm so proud of our web and analytics team. Now, we, we have the benefit of just about everybody at Tibco cares about analytics. We've all worked in it and we, we know it. And so we also have the benefit of using our own technology. And over the last three years, I've, I've deliberately created a culture with my executive team of experimentation across the board. Like we, we fail so much, but in every failure, we, we learn. Um, I'll give you an example. Personalization is so critical. So I asked the web team, change it up. Let's do not just A and B testing because that's too easy. Let's do A through, you know, Z testing. Change it up and let's let's send it to different people. And what we found is even when we thought things were going to generate more useful and let's say higher, you know, engagement on our website, they were the worst. They actually failed so terribly. So the web team came back and said, this has to be personalized. So what can we do and where do we lift that content? What we found out is that people didn't want multiple calls to action. They, they wanted one. And there were three pieces of content they wanted. They wanted customer content that was like them. So when uh, an airline comes to our website, they see JetBlue. If a logistics company comes, they see FedEx. If a pharmaceutical company comes to our website, they see Pfizer. And then they see all of the analyst reports of the things that they know what they want to see. And then the third thing is 
they don't want to be hassled until they're ready to be hassled. And so we deliberately, you know, have them follow through the website until they are ready. They say, contact us. We're not pushing things out to them. And then the next part is, how do we then follow up quickly and engage? And we realize when somebody wants to find out more about us, our BDR team follows out that day. It's not two days later. It's not a week later. If somebody comes to an event, it's that day. So not only personalizing their journey and experience on our website, and we can do that in a one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many, the follow-up is really what matters. And, and that's what we do a, f- uh, a phenomenal job of. This is great advice. All, all three of those buckets. I'm going to ask you for one more bit of advice here, and that is how do you break? How do you make a personal journey for yourself, for family, a priority when you're running around to different Formula One races? Well, Randy, and you have to do this too, because we all have families, we have lives. And, you know, although, uh, you know, we all have Zoom fatigue, family and regenerating your energy is the the most important thing. And so I deliberately, and I tell my team to do this, I, I am vigilant about scheduling, you know, time off. I'm, I'm vigilant about taking a break, even during the day. Uh, my team knows they can always get a hold of me, but I, you know, I happen to live here in the beautiful city of San Francisco, and there is not one day that I leave this chair for at least an hour and take a walk and think about something non-TIBCO. Because when I come back, I am recharged and I'm better and ready to go. And I give my team that same advice. It's, it's hard to do because we're all over scheduled. It's hard to make that time. But your health, your family, your friends, um, all of those things, an actual thought, not about your company and not about your work, they matter because everything that you can bring to just re-energize yourself makes you better at whatever that purposeful thing that you need to do for your profession and for your life. Because these things, as you know, they've completely weaved together, but that, that's just you know my suggestion. Take the time, make the time, schedule the time, and do it. We'll, we'll end on that note, Fred, because uh, great instruction, great balance, and that's what it takes to be at the CMO level. Uh, we're going to burn out if we don't take that time for ourselves. I thank you for taking the time to share that with us. If you've tuned into this episode as your first with The Marketer's Journey, look back. Every CMO's journey is a little different. Yours is going to take its own path, and one day, hopefully, you'll share it here. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.